Hello and welcome back to another episode of Armchair Analysts, the only podcast that thinks the Premier League should introduce a relegation playoff. My name is Cameron McDonald, and I've spent three years working as an FA licensed intermediary here in the UK. My co-host Rupert Meadows has written and broadcast about all things football on platforms such as TalkSport Radio and Gimme Sport. Above all else, we're fans. Yeah, thanks for that, Cam. And the dust is settling on another Premier League season. Full of excitement. Um, there was also a lot of excitement in the lower leagues of English football and also across in Europe as well. We're going to talk about it all as well as some of our end of season awards later on. But I want to maybe pick up on what you said just there, which was Premier League relegation playoff, question mark? Yeah, I mean, I mean, firstly, just th- this last weekend was such a great weekend for football. It was a long weekend for mm. us here in the UK and, of course, for uh, any listeners over in the US as well with a Memorial Day weekend. And there was just, like, big games on every single day, whether it was the final day of the Premier League season, the final day of the Bundesliga, some really pivotal games in Serie A. I was watching Milan-Juventus, uh, the League 1, League 2 and Championship playoffs. So I can never really be footballed out, but if I could be, this, this is as close as I could get to being all footballed out. It was just a non-stop streamer, which was, uh, which was definitely fantastic. Um, and in watching the Bundesliga, obviously we can get on to talk about the final day of the season there and, and Dortmund's disappointment, but I, I sort of was reminded that they have relegation playoffs. And it did make me wonder when I was looking at some of that, because we've been in a situation quite a few times the last few seasons where the sort of the the last team the 17th place team I should say and sometimes even the 16th place team are only kept up by the virtue of you know the other teams being worse around them sure and it it made me wonder for example and maybe this is literally uh, a very sort of uh, reactive thing to being like oh Everton are lucky to have stayed up despite how bad they've been run and Coventry are really unlucky to have not come up despite how well how you know how, how good they've been at times even though they were fifth um I was just like, wouldn't it be interesting if there was then an additional game, one additional game, so one more crack of the whip for teams to come up, and uh, you know, one more sort of bit of jeopardy for the teams at the top. They would definitely not agree. The teams would finish seventeenth, obviously, um, <laughs> but would just be kind of interesting. And I, I, I was wondering about that because I do, you do often end up in a position where the team in seventeenth has not played themselves to safety, but been saved by sure. the sort of uselessness of everyone else. Uh, and it would be interesting to give people another crack of the whip at coming up, I suppose. Yeah, so in your head, is this the way that it happens is is the team that doesn't win the promotion playoffs, the team that gets to the final of the promotion playoffs of the championship but doesn't win it, then plays 17th place for like a who's going to go to the Premier League? Not necessarily. I mean, that's just the way in my head, just thinking about the two teams that could have worked. I think in Germany, it's it's the team that gets to the final of the, the of sort of what would be the final of the playoffs then plays the third bottom team in, in Germany so it's not that four teams go down so I'll, I'll be happy for it to work you know I think you can make maybe the argument for them to reduce the relegation spots and then there's even more jeopardy about you know who's going to get this one final position because often the, the bottom two are locked down nice and early um, I don't know I, I, I quite like the idea of basically more football <laughs> the season has already ended and I'm longing for more Premier League football and this would add another game week potentially <laughs> Yeah, I hear, I hear what you're saying. Um, but let me ask you this. Did you enjoy the relegation dogfight this year? Yeah, the relegation dogfight was brilliant. And I, I did like how... Why change it? In true Premier League... Well, yeah, why, why change it? 
I, I did like how in sort of pr- true like Premier League Jeopardy fashion, the last, like the most impactful game, the one that made all the difference was Everton Bournemouth that ended the last of all the games. Yeah, like, that was Leicester cool. won their game, but it didn't matter by that point. Leeds sort of won quite early on, so it wouldn't have mattered if at 4-1 down that had had 10 added minutes. It was the, the Everton Bournemouth one that went all the way to about 100 minutes and the Jeopardy was right there up to the line. So it, had it to definitely be. was very exciting. It had to be. It, it was cruel, I think, for Everton fans. Um, I was following along and just, just watching... Um, the game continue and continue every other game finishing around them um, and uh, definitely definitely some nervous moments um, but they they pulled through kept a clean sheet 1-1-0 um, do you think they deserve to stay up you kind of hinted at the fact that maybe you think that they don't I mean at the end of the day they did deserve to stay up because the table doesn't lie over the course of you know, we can all say, oh, you know, this team did this and I, you know, sometimes in very rare occasions like the um, the time that there was that Hawkeye thing and Sheffield United went down instead of someone out. So yeah, there's examples like that. But I think over the course of the season, do I think that Everton have been significantly worse than Leeds or Leicester or Southampton? Not really. Um, I just think they've been lucky to be in a year where the other teams have been this bad. And I, I hope, what I hope now is that this gives Everton a bit of a kick up the arse. Because I don't have any issue with Everton as a as a club, as like a historical club, and I definitely have any, don't have any issue with the fans. I do have an issue with the current ownership group, and I, I think most Everton fans would agree with me on that. So I hope that this sure. gives them a kick up the arse. I think, I think it just, it rankles me to see poorly run clubs or poorly run anything really not punished uh, and I think that's what's happened here they've hung on by the skin of their teeth which you know very happy for the fans um, but it could be one of those things long term that actually is not good for the fans because the board stay on and it was interesting how just you know despite a triumphant stay on put on the last day of the season hashtag sack the board was trending right after the game so it's definitely good in the short term. It could hurt in the long term if the if the owners now think, oh, well, you know, we're good stewards of this club. It's true. I think we talk a lot about the fact that the, the financial disparity between the Championship and the Premiership is so vast. And I feel like, you. while I agree with you, maybe it leads to change not being made where change needs to be made. I still feel like there's there's, there's a significant net gain from staying up versus getting relegated. But but obviously that's that, that's an obvious point. Um, but it is also it, It's funny because you relevant. do see some, and maybe this is sort of just, you know, <laughs> licking your own wounds, like, or sort of justify itself. But you do see some fans of teams that finish quite bad. Like some Norwich fans I've seen go, when they get sent down, they just go, you know what, I actually prefer it in the championship because it's more fun than losing every week. And not that Everton are necessarily this team, because Everton fans will believe they can yeah. bounce back and do have, you know, on paper a good team. But I do I do think that relegation isn't always a bad thing for all parties. And sometimes, in, in the macro sense, if that leads to Everton being sold for cheaper because they're not, uh, you know, a Premier League club anymore, but someone still looks at them and goes, well, they're an undervalued asset because they're really historic and they're a massive club, I could pick them up for, you know, absolute pennies on the dollar and return them to some level of greatness then Everton fans, if you could give them that, you know, look into the crystal ball, 10-year look into the future, they would all go, let's go straight down next season rather than being continued to own by Mashiri and, and, you know, have Bill Kenwright uh, as the chairman. I I feel like... It's it's a big hypothetical, um, but, you know. (laughs) I don't know what what analogy to use here, but I feel like if if I'm a a reclusive billionaire and I'm looking to pick up a team, I almost, I want like... I want a sexy down and out team. Do you know what I mean? I almost want my, uh, here we go. What's that? What's like not another teen movie moment? Like I want to take the glasses off some Premier League side that's down on its luck and suddenly turn them into a 10 out of 10. I don't want 
a team that's actually actively yeah, not yeah, being good. I, I, if that makes sense. I think that is Everton. And, and in that way, I feel like a team like Everton that's still in the Premier League is a little bit more like uh, the, 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 the girl with glasses than... I, I, I think Everton that are relegated think are the real fixer-upper. Like the championship, <laughs> the glass has been cracked and everything. But I think Everton is such a historic club. They're one of the most successful English clubs in in the history <laughs> of English football. Uh, you know they've got a huge fan base. Uh, I think they even if they went down to the championship would be a really appealing, uh, you know, interesting thing for a lot of people to take over. Whereas at the moment they're probably priced like a lower end Premier League club, but they've got all these other issues to sort out. I think it's more. Um, the final point I would make in disagreement of you, because I do think you've, you've got a good point. Um, I also think that it's such a roll of the dice to get relegated because you don't know which of your players are going to get scalped. You don't know which of your players are maybe going to refuse to train, refuse to um, you know, commit to the next season, look to go elsewhere. Then you maybe can't get the amount of money that you should be able to get for them, et cetera, et cetera. You don't know what it's going to be like to have to play 46 games in the league. It's so aggressive. It's so physically dominant. You, it, it is slightly different in terms of playing style. You don't know how well your players will adapt, especially for a team like Everton, that a lot of these players, you know, some of them have played in the championship before, but some of them haven't. Um, so I think for all of those variables and those unknowns, it is still a massive gamble to go down. And I think the risk is that for a team like Everton, when they have, and when they're used to Premier League spending, as we've talked about in the past, I feel like when they're on championship money, there's there's the opportunity for big clubs to capitulate. That's, that's definitely true. It's so, never happened before. I think we we surely have. Um, so I'm I think better for Everton that they stayed up. Um, in the least controversial <laughs> it, take it definitely ever. is better for them than um, they stayed out. I was merely trying to paint a picture <laughs> and depict, uh, you know, a <laughs> little, little, little bit of, uh, you know, controversy, a uh, little bit of uh, alternate thinking. <laughs> no, I won't have it. No. All right, no, it's, it's good to go that. up, it's bad to go down. There we go. Hottest take of the day. Let's talk about the two uh, the two teams that <laughs> good, did good go down. Um, <laughs> Leicester, a uh, hard-fought win, uh, but too little too late, uh, beating West Ham, uh, but it not being enough as a result of the aforementioned Everton result. Um, as we've mentioned, a team that is probably going to be picked clean and, you know, talking about teams that are going to struggle to come back up, you can really see Leicester being one of those that are going to have a tough time when people have picked their bones clean a little bit um, and sort of tried to lift out some of their good players. It, it's just bizarre to think that this was a team that, you know, four or five years ago, people were saying is one of the new big six clubs and six, seven years ago, won the league. Well, I, mean, I think probably also three years ago, they would have been top eight, 100%. Maybe even two years ago. Uh, I think until very recently, they were a top 10 sides. So yeah, it, it's been a real fall from grace. Um, and the problems definitely seem to exist, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. Um, it seems to have been a poorly run club in terms of financials. They definitely had opportunities to have, uh, you know, cash days, days in the sun, um, where they sold off a lot of their assets for a really good profit. And they weren't able to run their club in a way that was sustainable, really. Um, and yeah, they're, they're paying the pricing. They're a great example of of what we just talked about with Everton, potentially, um, even if Everton do have uh, much more of a, a like a historical legacy. Um, but it, it's going to be a shame. You know, they are a plucky side that I think pretty much everyone in the country, um, unless you're a really unhappy Tottenham or Liverpool fan, 
Um, I mean, Arsenal finished second, I think, that season or something like that. But um, we love Leicester. Everyone loves Leicester. Um, you know, they they captured our hearts and minds. It's sad to not see them in the Premier League anymore. Um, the dream is a little bit over, a little bit dead. Um, and yeah, I think this team will get picked clean. Absolutely. Um, there are like 10 players in the squad that I don't think are ever going to yeah, play a minute. Yeah, quite, quite a few that you can imagine immediately skedaddling. Jamie Vardy staying Jamie Vardy though, will I think. Stay. I think. Something tells me that Danny Ward will stay. I don't think anyone's going to be scrabbling for his signature. <laughs> Get him. We have to have yeah, him. Yeah, hopefully a cautionary tale there as well, you know, um, to, to not sell your keeper and not really have a replacement for them. Well, I think the other thing that's interesting in terms of cautionary tales, I feel like enough players left Leicester and didn't maintain their form that I feel like it was starting to become clear that something about the way Leicester set up, something about the teammates that were around them, cough, cough, um, Kasper Schmeichel, meant that a lot of the players that they had, that people signed, massively then went on to underperform. You know, people like Harry Maguire. And I, I also wonder if the cautionary tales were starting to become enough that probably they wouldn't have been able to keep selling off their assets in the way that they had done. Um, maybe maybe not true, because Rio Mavis obviously has been fantastic and N'Golo Kante has obviously been fantastic. But um, yeah, I wonder if uh, maybe they wouldn't have been able to continue. Perhaps, and that is something that can happen. I do still think there's just too many, uh, you know, cut price gems uh, available. I just can't see people not wanting to take a punt on. I can see like Spurs just going in there with the, uh, you know, bargain bargain budget sort of uh, like trolley and just scooping in like three or four players really cheap and Daniel even being like, well, another great summer. <laughs> and I think that would be one of their better summers because there are a couple of real diamonds in the rough there that I think would improve them. Absolutely. Um it- if you had to pick one player that you could sign, um, not for any one team, but if you, who who do you think is the most signed player? Actually, did we talk we about did. this last week? We did. And, Maybe and we did. We sort of agreed. I think I said Yuri Telemans. Yeah, the, the other one I would say that yeah, I think okay. has just never had a good crack of the whip is um, Kelechi Hiannaccio. I just think he's such a good player um, who has not been given enough of a chance. And there is a player there who, is he going to be a 20 goal a season striker in the Premier League? Probably not. But I think he's more than able to perform a, a really good job for you know a lot, a lot of the teams towards the bottom end of the table and, and maybe even sort of come up and surprise people. Oh yeah, you can you can definitely see someone like Bournemouth picking him up and him him doing a real job for them. Even like an Everton. Um, yeah, yeah. To be fair, or, or even Everton, he does play well in blue. Um, James Madison. Yeah, well, he's just off to Newcastle already, isn't he? <laughs> That's as good as done. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I just want you know I didn't didn't want the conversation to to happen without his name. That's being true. Seen. Well, that was Leicester, um, who did have a hard fought win. Leeds, unfortunately, didn't even have the uh, the sort of chance to celebrate or sort of have that hope and that tension right until the final minutes because they unfortunately held four goals against uh, a pretty shaky Spurs side. Uh, is that unfair? Is that unfair on Leeds that they should have maybe uh, been a little bit better against Spurs, given that Spurs, you know, are <laughs> are, are, are got top six side? Uh, maybe I do think it is funny that Big Sam has rolled in on this deal he's picked up one point uh, in his four games there and pocketed 500k yeah I mean that's that's wild um, it, yeah it's not exactly a consistent Spurs side um, 
And I don't remember the last time Spurs actually scored for this season. Has it happened this season? I, I, it maybe happened in January. It happened, I think it happened in like... There's, the a, there's a game when Human Sons um, got a hat-trick. I yeah. want to say it's happened then. Yeah, okay. So they, they've, they've scored goals. I mean, the, the, if you look down their, their results, it's actually wild. 4-3 against Liverpool was mad. 2-2 um, against uh, Man U draw the week after you lose 6-1 to, Sp- um, to Newcastle um, and lose 3-2 to Bournemouth at home. Just an absolutely rocking season for, for Spurs. Um, and unfortunately, Leeds couldn't, uh, couldn't quite capitalise. Um, they definitely did seem like they were potentially right for the taking, but also wouldn't have made a difference. Um, it would have been only a consolation prize because three points wouldn't have been enough. Um, about right, do you think the leads go down or do you think that they could be hard-pressed? They were hard-pressed. Um, do you think that with a couple of different decisions going their ways in terms of maybe managerial changes, do you think they should have well, stayed no, I up? thought the team that's in 17th should have also gone down, so I, so I should go out saying I think the teams in 18th and 19th definitely both deserve to go down. <laughs> that's fair. That's a uh, that's good. Um, logic. No, I, I I just think Leeds have been all over the place, and they just haven't really had any any coherent squad planning or sort of managerial appointments. Things have just been all over the place. Nothing seems to have made sense. Even the signings they made. We're going to talk about some of their signings uh, later, maybe when we talk about some of the worst signings of the season and some of the best signings of the season, and, and you know, general end of season awards. I just I don't think they did enough um, to try and stay up, and even some of the players they did sign didn't really get a look in, which begs the question: Why did they sign them in the first place? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, you know, there's always going to be the player that you think you're signing, and then the player that turns up to training. Um, but yeah, it, a, a waste of of expenditure, and absolutely contributed to them going down. You know, when you sign players, you need them to perform or you will struggle. I, I, I even think and there's there's a player in particular, I don't want to, I'm sure people will be able to put, to put the dots together, but I don't want to spoil it yet. Uh, but they signed him they, for not no money and they didn't really play him at all and then they went down. And it's like, maybe he's really bad in training, but if you're losing every single week, you don't want to throw anything, like you, you want to keep not trying the, the same thing and maybe trying some different players in there. Yeah. Well, we'll have to wait to find out who that could be. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. Uh, some select final games of the season, or rather just a couple of the storylines therein. Um, Aston Villa under Unai Emery secure European football by beating Brighton on the final day. An incredible achievement for a team that at the start of the season, easy to forget, uh, under Steven Gerrard, we were thinking could maybe be you know, going down at the end of the season, playing some really bad football, um, not looking convincing at all, couldn't string two passes together, and... You know, with uh, the same squad and a different manager, they've managed to completely turn it around and be the form team of the back end of the season, really, outside of, of course, Manchester City. Yeah, you're right. They probably were the form team. Um, and you kind of saw them uh, slowly edge their way up the uh, up the table. As soon as, as, soon as they ha- had a chance to get European football, you just kind of had to, had to think that they might. The, the power of Unai Emery... Uh, is such that he demands, gravitates towards Europe. Um, and yeah, I think um, I'm sure we'll talk about, at least talk about one or two of the players later on when we do our um, Team of the Season Awards, even if they don't necessarily all make it into the um, the, the final team. But um, yeah, a, a great game. It was quite fun because it was like a just a real battle between two teams who've been fantastic this year. 
and to have finished sixth and seventh respectively, um, where probably not a, not a people mm, put them. Yeah, de- definitely very impressive. Um, and yeah, just just really impressed with both of these sides. Uh, glad to see that Villa managed to make it in. Tottenham, of course, the um, the losers in that exchange. They're finishing outside of Europe, although. That could sort of be, and I'm coming with some, again, some controversial hot takes. Maybe it's not something everyone agrees, but that could be a mutually beneficial situation. You know, Villa qualifying for Europe and a European competition that, you know, West Ham are in the final. Villa might be able to make it to the final as well and maybe win a trophy. Um, and Spurs, you know, it sometimes is a bonus if you don't have to have European contention and you're trying to rebuild a little bit. <laughs> that's true. I-, I wonder if uh, at any point that's going to become a. Uh... 2-0 scoreline most dangerous in football <laughs> over over said a phrase you know oh no Europe Absolutely. this year um, I, feel, I feel like uh, every year almost there's like one team that misses out it'd be interesting to do like a, a study and see whether or not um, it actually typically does lead to a better next season um, I'm sure there are lots of other things that impact it like the signings that they that they pick up etc but um, yeah could be good for them could not be um, they're definitely a team that needs to um, do some some hard looks speaking, in the mirror. Speaking of old adages and uh, you know cliches that are repeated far too often, how about this one? The pressure is off, and Arsenal have played some of their best football all year. I mean, it, it was just like as hilarious as it was predictable. I think we joked about the fact that they were going to absolutely rock Wolves, um, and yeah, five nil drubbing. Um, Granit Xhaka scored two. What, what an unbelievable Granit Xhaka scored two um, in his final game for Arsenal. So he was, uh, when I was watching this game, he was sort of getting all the chance and every time he got the ball, the, the sort of home fans were cheering him. And when he scored, everyone went nuts. And then he scored a second and everyone went nuts again. I think that was about like 20 minutes in. It was like 14 minutes in. And it was like, is he, is he going to score nine goals in yeah. his final? He actually came really close to, to scoring a hat-trick <laughs> as well and, and put maybe the easiest chance of the three wide. But it was just funny, I was watching that and I was thinking, there'll be nothing more Granit Xhaka here than to get a hat-trick and a red card. What a send-off that'd be. That actually would have been huge. Do you think that if he'd got that third um, goal, he would have gone for it? <laughs> he would have run up behind the referee, two-footed the referee, and then like waved at the home fans as he was obviously given a red card. <laughs> I mean, if he did that, Absolute legend. legend. Bill Certified Bissachi, legend. Including the referee. <laughs> Um, yeah I mean hey look I think uh, you know the the Premier League tapestry he will be slightly less the rich for not having Granit Xhaka Um, another good coin flip player um, who just uh, seemingly flipped a coin at the beginning of every game to decide whether or not he was going to be absolutely terrible or yeah and I thought he ended on his best season yet for the club I think he was more you know top class than he was terrible so I I can't think of many games people will point to the the Liverpool thing with shoving shoving Trent outside Arnold I've made my thoughts clear on I think that's been a bit overblown but for the most part this season even if you think that was a a big (laughs) a big error I think he's been pretty good so yeah fair enough Southampton he's had a very good year I mean do you do you think um do you think if you were Granite Xhaka you would be leaving is that a difficult way to phrase it? Uh, no, I think I think he's you know he's had his uh, he's had his run of things. He's probably aware that the club is looking to upgrade a little bit in the nicest way possible to him. He's a little bit older. It's a good time to move on rather than sort of being frozen out. He's probably still gonna buy Leverkusen. I think is the the rumored one. Uh, he'll start there in all likelihood. It's a little bit close to home. Um, you know, it's I think it's a good move for him. I think it's a good move all round. It's one of those rare ones where everyone should be happy. 
everyone's a winner. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, good managers play under as a defensive midfielder. Um, and yeah, he can go out with his head held high. He's he's ushered in the new generation of Arsenal players. Absolutely. Southampton 4, Liverpool 4. Um, one of those bizarre games that only happens either on you know final day of the season or on Boxing Day uh, when everyone's drunk on the Christmas champagne. Um, what? What happened here? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really know, to be honest with you. I feel like I've watched watched it back again and I watched the highlights and again, and it's just, I think, yeah, as you said, one of those games, there it is. Southampton scored four, Liverpool scored four. I, I don't really know what else to say, really. Um, I mean, just that, that middle period of the game, um, Liverpool bookending uh, Southampton's four goals with two on either side, um, starting quick, getting too early, then Southampton just absolutely hit back um, and, you know, played pretty pretty well. Um, it's quite a fun blowout last day of the season, really. Um, you know, we've thrown everything at this league. We're going down this time. We're going to go out with one final little uppercut. Um, it's, yeah, it's harmless. Liverpool aren't going to be affected by it at all, but a nice way to leave the fans uh, in terms of, you know, saying goodbye to the, the Premier League. Absolutely is. And in saying goodbye to the Premier League, let's quickly whip over to the Bundesliga, which we gave a little preview to the final day last uh, last week. Uh, Dortmund are just stacked, haven't they? Oh, man. Oh, man, they really did. Uh, yeah. Good old, good old dirt arsenal. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 God, they... <laughs> I, I saw a lot of mock-ups. I saw some mock-ups with their badge looking like an Arsenal badge. I saw some mock-ups with their badge looking like a Spurs badge. It was just... The weirdest thing about it was, uh, obviously, the way the games went. Um, Dortmund went 2-0 down and then tried to get back in it. And then, uh, well, Bayern were one up against um, against Cologne. And then when Cologne equalised, it was almost like Dortmund eased off. It's like they'd heard and the fans had sort of made it known that, uh, I mean, I guess you don't really know exactly what's happened to the player. So maybe they thought Bayern were losing and or something like that. But it, maybe it was just me making that connection in my head. But it seemed like Dortmund eased off. And it was like, it's not one yet, because, of course, then Bayern went on to score a winner and go back into it. And it was just... We all like an underdog story, and I have no real affinity to either German team, but it's, it's just a shame to watch it happen again. Uh, Dortmund, again, uh, full second place to, to their eternal rivals. Bayern, again, just mincing the league. Um, and yeah, just like on the last day of the season. I've, I just knew that would happen, especially because Bayern scored their two goals so early. I think it was like two goals within about 20 minutes, and I was just like, oh, Dortmund, you're just allergic to success, aren't you? It was it was a tough one to watch. I think also just because it felt very Arsenal all the way down to the way that they'd lost it. You know, and, and thinking obviously of um, when Arsenal played Southampton and they had this really big late push, tried to come back into it. Dortmund here scored in the 96th minute, um, you know, almost made it back in, but ultimately left themselves with too mm. much to do at the very end of the game. Um, it, it was all just very... Disappointing. Great to be goal from Nicolas Sula, by Very the way. <laughs> too, again, too little, too late, but lovely goal for her. It was a classic, like, I can't believe a centre back has just scored that goal goal. Yeah. Um, yeah, good good on him. Good on him. I'm sure we'll all remember it in five years. <laughs> well, certainly. That's <laughs> so harsh. True. That's harsh. That's harsh. But but I'm hurt. I'm hurt. I like this Dortmund side. I wanted them to obviously win the league, even just for the fact that it's changed, yeah. uh, as you mentioned. Um, but so many good exciting young players like Kareem Adeyemi 
um, and uh, obviously our, our our own um, Jude mm. Bellingham. And yeah, it's a, a real shame. Can I ask if you saw what happened in Bundesliga 2? Uh, with Hamburg missing out on the last day of the season, was it? And now to play in the playoffs? Is that right? It sure was, yeah. Did you? We do. You follow indeed, that? Yeah, well? I just wanted to make sure I'd had that right because again, lots of football's gone on, so just keeping it all. Anything that I don't have in my meticulous notes, I have to <laughs> run through really carefully in my head <laughs> so I haven't got it wrong. No, you're obviously right. So I actually um, got a little bit of a soft spot for for Hamburg, Hamburger SV. Um, I quite like them as a team because because they seem like quite a cool city, um, and I want to visit at some point. Um, and I've been following them for a couple of years now, and they've got this hilarious thing where they just never seem to be able to get themselves promoted back into the Bundesliga. Um, this year, it looked pretty dead set um, until um, FC Heidenheim, um, who were the, the team that they were fighting uh, to get in the top two, which is where you need to finish to get automatic um, promotion, um, were, I believe it was, 2-1 down uh, until the 93rd minute where Heidenheim managed to score an equaliser, and then the winner in the 99th minute um, to keep uh, Hamburg out, despite the fact that Hamburg also managed to win their last game of the season, holding out 1-0 from a third-minute goal. So they did so well to hold out to the very end, and they still couldn't get it over the line just yet. Could still be their season, but we'll have to wait for the playoffs for that one. Yes, yeah, that was Hamburg. A little bit of late jeopardy. Um, we'll talk about some other playoffs a little bit later. First, a little bit of useless trivia. Uh, what have you got for me this week, Rupert? I've got a uh, quite a fun thing. And again, you know sometimes when you come across trivia and you're like, I don't know if this is common knowledge and I've been living under a rock or if this is actually a hilarious piece of, of trivia that, that I and others did not know. Um, so... Spoiler, might be talking about this player a little bit later on. But did you know that uh, when Casemiro first did his trial for Sao Paulo in Brazil, he started, um, he he was trialling, he was going to be trialling as a striker. And then there were like 300 players all all trying to trial and get a a place in in the team. Um, And apparently when they went through the positions like 50 people put their hands up as as forwards um and Casemiro was like oh god don't fancy my chances i'm i'm he was like 12 or 13 at the time um and the same thing happened again with midfielders and then it went to defensive midfielders and only like seven or eight people put their hands up and he was like okay yeah i am too and then just trialed as a defensive midfielder and it stuck <laughs> that's that's quite interesting did you have you, have you come across that before no i haven't um, it's uh, it's quite a funny quote from him where he says, uh, then the coach said, are there any defensive midfielders? Seven or eight hands went up. So I said to myself, okay, I'm a defensive midfielder. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that matter of factness that then defined his career. Um, he's gone on to be one of, if not potentially the finest defensive midfielder in the world on his day. Yeah, yeah very interesting indeed. Uh, I have got one that is to do with... Uh, 
Sheffield Wednesday, who we might talk about a little bit later. Um, Sheffield Wednesday, of course, uh, were promoted uh, over the weekend. Uh, there's an old stat uh, that uh, one of my favourite Twitter accounts tweeted a while back, talking about how uh, Gary Monk, who was manager back in 2019, was a ninth consecutive Sheffield Wednesday manager who wasn't born on a Wednesday. And the fact that the last one who was was Paul Sturrock, who had got them promoted. Seems pretty foolproof. Well, Darren Moore has got them promoted this season, of course. And he was born on a Monday, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> so the stat has been broken. This has been a useless no. trivia that's now been broken. <laughs> well, it's like an updated useless trivia. That's a sad It's now obsolete. So if anyone's using that one in pubs, do no longer. <laughs> you can't anymore. Um, well, there you go. Um, but, you know, it's not all bad news. Because uh, they are going to be in the Premier League. so or, or the Championship, rather. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to be in the championship. Although, although it would be um, funny if it was like because it was such a dramatic finish with like Josh Windass scoring the 123rd minute. If it was like that was the more sort of like cr- well, that was the the championship playoff was a crazy finish. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. But they were like, that's how it works. It was such a such a crazy one. You jump two divisions. <laughs> well done. You did it. You crazy bastards. Um, yes, uh, they did indeed move up one league. Um, good trivia. Good trivia all round. Well, trivia busted. But let's. I'm excited. Let's do it. Let's get into our end of season awards. I'll be honest, I'm looking at my team of the season. It's not particularly thrilling. I don't know how you feel about that. I feel like a lot of the players in there are players that everyone's going to go, yeah, fair enough. I Uh, I, I agree. And here's what I think we should do as a result, because I think a lot of these players are, no one's going to argue with the players being in. I think what's going to be interesting is the players we've left out. So I would suggest let's fire through them fairly quickly, remember each other's as best we can, and then dissect when someone's got in someone that someone else hasn't, or if both of us have missed out a big name. Um, So I'm I'm positive you to to head off first. Um, Who's who's in? For the whole team or or just, just position by position? Give me front to back. Front to back. Okay, so in goal... I've gone for uh, your boy, Nick Pope. Mm -hmm. Um, In defence, from right to left, I've got Ben White, Ruben Diaz, Sven Botman, and Alexander Zinchenko. Completely different from mine, by the way, so far, every player. But please continue. Fantastic. Uh, Defensive midfielders, I've got Casemiro and Jacob Ramsey. Mm -hmm. And then attacking midfielders, I've got Bukayo Saka, Kevin De Bruyne, and Alexis McAllister. And then up top, you kind of have to go for him. It's Erling Haaland. Excellent, excellent. They're, honestly, that is such a different team from mine. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different players there that I've got. Well, I feel like it's tricky because there are so many like alternatives that you could have. It was always like, well, okay, both these players deserve to be in it. But no, this is great. I, I can't this have is, a subs bench. I'm glad that I've made the snap decision to do it this way because now we can argue about where we've gone different. Um, my uh, team okay. of the season. So, in goal, I've not gone for Nick Pope. I've gone for Allison. Uh, back four, ah. right to left. Uh, I've got Trippier at right back. Uh, Luke Shaw, I've slid in at centre back because I think he was nice. too good uh, at left back, but he's not actually my left back, but he's played at centre back towards the back end of the season, which is a big part of why I'm impressed. Uh, and then Saliba partnering him. My actual left back, Purvis Estupanan over at Brighton. Uh, I've gone for oh, a sort of uh, single pivot with two floating eights. So Rodri is my pivot uh, with Kevin De Bruyne and Martin Erdegaard playing as the, the dual eights. Uh, and then. Ooh. Left wing, I've got Marcus Rashford. Right wing, Bakaya Saka. And through the middle, same player, Erling Haaland, of course. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the players that you've named there are players that uh, I I didn't put in my team, but definitely could have done. Can you just remind me who your two centre-backs were? 
It was um, Luke Shaw William and... Saliba and Luke Shaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. I mean, let's start there. William Saliba, very hard to not include him. Um, I think I maybe didn't include him just because he was injured for the last part of the season, but transformed Arsenal's defence. Fantastic player. For, for me, the fact that he was injured almost, and it's a weird thing to say, but he was injured rather than suspended, which is my reason for not including Casemiro, which we'll get into in a second. But Saliba's importance to Arsenal was shown so much more clearly by when he wasn't in, how much worse the team got. Sometimes, especially with a centre-back, it's not as you know cut and dry as going, oh, this midfielder got 20 assists, or oh, this striker got 30 goals. You can often go, well, it might be a good system, Keith might be good at marshalling, you know, defensive midfielder might be shielding him, centre-back partner might be it's, it's always a little bit to the point where there's even been some debate up to the point when he got injured about who's been who was their more important centre back. I think you made a case that you know Gabriel gets injured, blah blah blah. But the fact that we've sure. we've we've seen Arsenal with and without Saliba, and it's night and day, and, and that for me is testament to how key he was. Arsenal went from the team that was top of the league to a team that completely fell off and 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 couldn't like keep a clean sheet to save their lives. Yeah, very true. I mean, the only extra thing you could add into there was, you know, form uh, and consistency and change being hard. Not just Saliba out, but also, you know, you lose your momentum and suddenly you're like, oh God, we're at the top of the table. Mm. Um, But yeah, I I take your point. I think um, I definitely wanted to have an Arsenal defender in there. Um, I actually ended up going for both of their fullbacks. Um, Zinchenko, because I think that he was so key to the way that they set up. He was such an important signing for them. And and Ben White, because I've just been so impressed with the way that he helped transition Arsenal into the final third. I think um, at least at one point towards the, the end of the season, he had the most forward passes into the box, I think, of any, of any Premier League player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think he's had a fantastic season and I wanted to recognise that. But absolutely William Saliba fantastic player I think no one's gonna argue if you want to put Aaron Ramsdale at goalie either um a lot to a lot to praise um from Arsenal's defense lot lot to praise no I, I agree you could have I think Ben White's just missed out for me because I think Kieran Tripp has been unbelievably good uh I think there's a, a case to be made obviously not including Haaland but if you you know <laughs> for some reason admit Haaland there's a case to be made for Trippier in the conversation for player of the season uh, I, I just think he's been brilliant um I do also think, um, so you, you went for Diaz and I've not got any City defenders in mind. I, I think yeah. I really wanted to, when I was building this, I wanted to put a City defender in. None of them have started enough. They've all started like 21 games. <laughs> so so I, I just, I couldn't in good consciousness put in a Ruben Diaz or a John Stones or a Nathan Acker who've all started about 21 games over someone like a Luke Shaw or a William Saliba or anyone who's sort of started all the games through, you know, and, and if they've missed any, it's been through injury. Um so that's the reason I haven't got a city defender, but they have obviously had. Uh, Is that true? Time. He's only played. He's only played twenty. Ruben Diaz. Twenty games. Ruben Diaz. He only started about twenty-one games. Wow. Twenty-two. That is surprising. Twenty-two. Um, fair enough. Yeah, I, I think that's um, as good a reason as any to not put one in. Yeah, Stones um, twenty-one, think... him twenty-two, Ake twenty-one. So all, all three brilliant players, but you're playing two-thirds of the season. In fact, less than that. I think the the key thing about Diaz for me is that as Man City's tactics changed over the course of the season, as he started to push people like John Stones into midfield, Ruben Diaz's role in in kind of holding that whole defensive line together, um, shoring it up, being a leader at the back, 
was was really key to their continued success and, and City being able to play the system that they did. So that is why for me I've put him in there. But yeah, I take your point, and it is a good one. Um, that you know, do you need to play more than thirty games to get a look in um, to this team? It's a compelling argument. I, I I would have said so for the most part. I think it's the old sort of January signing. I think some January signings come in and deserve to be in it because they played well throughout that. So that's the exception I would give. But if you've been there from the start of the season and you've played less than 25 games, or sort of you've started less than 25 games, I'm kind of like, can you really be in the team of the season if you've not been picked for your own team almost half the time? I think the only the only other argument is that I think Man City literally are the boogie team for this because Pep Guardiola rotates so much that there are only a couple of players who will play more than 30 games in a season. Um, oh, I let, agree. Let, let alone 30, 30 starts. Um, so I think you can't not have Man City players in this team because they have been the best team this season. So personally, I think I think Diaz does deserve to be in there. But I think uh, it's Pep's way point. of making it easy when you're picking a team of the season, so it's not eleven city players because <laughs> <laughs> you can't pick, like you can't pick uh, half their players because they've played about eight games apiece. Yeah, that's they've, also they've, true. They've, I mean, they've scored twelve goals in those eight games each. But <laughs> um, I think I so I decided to put Jacob Ramsey in uh, at DM just because I thought my team was starting to look really boring with Rodri in there as well. Uh, not mm-hmm. to say that I don't think Rodri isn't the right choice. I think Rodri has had a fantastic season. But I think, I think because I chose not to have Rodri, I then felt like I needed to have a Diaz at the back. Let's have a conversation about Casemiro. You put him in. I think uh, there is a case to say he's been signing of the season. He's completely transformed Manchester United's midfield. For me, similar argument to if you don't start that much. I think as brilliant as he's been when he's played, he's got sent off a couple of times at really key points and cost them cost them by not being there for stretches. That's true, but I think. He's been so transformative to Manchester United. I think, again, you've picked the other player um, that has defined Manchester United's change, which is Marcus Rashford. And again, I I rate that choice, but I think because Casemiro is a new player entering and transforming the entire system versus one of their players who's been there for a long time just having a really good year... I think that Casemiro is more representative of a new look Manchester United and more representative of the success that they've had this season. But again, I can't fault you for choosing Rashford instead. Interesting, interesting. A, couple, a few more before I get into the omissions. Um, Alisson versus Pope. I just want to walk you through my thinking there because I think Nick Pope's been brilliant. Um, and obviously that new look, Newcastle defence has been not the best defence of the season, but certainly the biggest upgrade from this time last season. So I think every member of that defence deserves a shout-out from Big Dan Byrne, uh, you know, all the way back to Nick Pope. Um, the only reason I put Alisson in is just because I think that was... Nick Pope was great as part of a unit, which is not to say that he wasn't brilliant and deserving of his flowers, but I just look at Alisson, and Alisson has been, like, in my opinion the reason that Liverpool have even finished in the top half. You know how people used to talk about, specifically Petr Cech, as a keeper that was worth 10 points, and that was like the ultimate praise. It's like someone who would literally do that just by being in between the six. That's been Alisson this season, and, and on the strength of that, I just couldn't not have him in. You're right. He's been fantastic. I think he's been the best just, just out-and-out goalkeeper this year. But I think... 
The reason I didn't pick him was because when I think about this season, Liverpool is nowhere near how I would define it. They've Absolutely. Been... But that's, so, that's why I'm putting their keeper in. Because I think... It, for for exactly that reason, and maybe this is just a difference in mindset, I think for exactly that reason, Liverpool have been so poor, but still managed to finish in a position where they've got Europe and yet they've missed out on, on, on Champions League, but they've still managed to not have a Chelsea-esque season. And in my mind, that's largely because of Alisson. Yeah, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think they've had fringe players having on and off bounce of form and stuff like that, but he's definitely been their best player this year. Um, I think it was more just that, you know, when you think of, as you kind of talked about earlier, representative of the season players. Um, mm. I, I didn't want to have any Liverpool players in and, and I chose to have an extra Newcastle player in to represent the fact that I think that they've had a fantastic season. And I think that Nick Pope has also, as you said, had a fantastic season. Um, so that's why I went for him. But yeah, fair point. Some notable omissions. Uh, we've both included Arsenal's uh, young bouncing boy, Bakayo Saka, uh, on the right wing, but both left out Gabriel Martinelli, his partner on the left. Uh, why has he missed out for you? I think I think just because there's so much competition for these places, um, and if you're going to pick one, you're picking Saka. Um, mm. And on the left, I think you've got a lot of competition, not just from Rashford, but also from um, Mitoma. I, I ended up putting... Um, Alexis McAllister uh, at kind of left left midfield, just because I think he's been slightly more overall impactful than Matoma. But I think you could make definitely make a case for for Matoma uh, in, in this in this team. Um, and I think that yeah, while he's been great, I think that either Matoma or or Rashford just slightly pip it for me in terms of overall impact, just because Saka on the other side has has had the more dominant year. The big name that has been omitted from both of our teams is a man who has scored 30 league goals this season, which is crazy that you could score 30 league goals and not make the team of the season. Big old Harold Kane. Why has he missed out for you? Yeah, sorry, Kane. Um, Again, I think he's been a very good player at a mediocre team. Um, He's not defined the season in the slightest. I think that every team, every player in both of our, um, both of our teams has. Yeah, I, I think so. I think also I've seen a lot of people making their whether it's your, your Gary Neville's or yeah or your Jamie Carragher's or sort of all sorts of goth crooks or criminal of this every week with this team of the week. At least for me, part of it is making an eleven that makes kind of makes sense. And so you can't have you need a left winger or a right winger because as we've discussed, there have been so many good wingers this season. And if you can only have one striker, Kane unfortunately is not getting near Haaland. Unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. Um, you could also have picked Ivan Tony. Uh, I chose not to because he's banned and I don't like what he did. Um, <laughs> I think that's more impressive to play under that pressure. <laughs> Actually, here's, here's a question which for you. Which is the fear of, the fear of uh, verdict every week. I think that uh, sparked, that led him to, to start banging the goals more. Uh, I saw some people suggesting, there's been a bit of a debate raging on Twitter this week, I saw some people suggesting that Harry Kane scoring 30 goals for a, like an abysmal Spurs team is actually more impressive than Erling Haaland scoring 36 goals for a Manchester City team where he has chance on the plate every, every week. Now, hands up, I'm going to say I don't necessarily agree with that, but I can see where that argument comes from. And I like the people, whether they're Kane fans or England fans or just hate Man City or they're Spurs fans. I, you know what? Clap, clap to that one. What I would posit you know then... I, I, is, I agree with that. I think that's is, right. 
is Ivan Tony's 20 goals then better than Kane's 30? <laughs> <laughs> because he, 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 Brentford finished way above their means, whereas Spurs finished way behind. Yeah, I, I think I think compelling. I'm compelled. Um, I genuinely would say that that Harry Kane has been the better player this season, as as mad as that is to say. Again, I just think this is the team of the season that, that has defined the season and you can't not put a player in that's broken all the records. Interesting, interesting. Well, probably not for the first time now that the big Norwegians in the league, Kane is going to be feeling a little bit frustrated uh, at having a brilliant season, uh, but not the sort of golden boot winner, which is often his sort of... Uh, his uh, his sort of makeup prize for when Spurs don't win anything his, either. His cons- consolation, yeah. Um, couple of other players that neither of us have, have spoken about yet. Uh, not brothers Martinez and Martinez. Um, you went for Luke Shaw over Lissandro Martinez in defence. Mar- Lissandro Martinez has had a very good year. Was there a reason why you picked Shaw over him? Uh, not not really. It could have easily been Lissandro Martinez. I just think Shaw has impressed me and has been the best left back in the league it's a coin flip for me between him and Purvis Stubinan and I wanted both in and Shaw's played centre-back conveniently in recent weeks I was like I'm gonna have both of them in Uh, I think Shaw if you were to sort of give each player uh, a mark out of 100 Shaw is get like getting like an 89 and Lissandra Martinez getting like an 87 so (laughs) I'm I'm putting him in based on that but I think think Lissandra Martinez has been great as well so that's really proven, proven a lot of us wrong. We thought the little, the little, uh, the little chippy nipper wouldn't be able to do it. Is that a, is that the a young, thing? The young lad, uh, the chippy nipper is not one I've heard, but that doesn't mean it doesn't <laughs> exist. Um, Emmy Martinez, another Argentine. Yeah, look, I mean, there's a bit, there's a lot to be said about Villa's uh, defensive solid. I mean, just all of Villa really um, over the course of the end of the season. Uh, again, just for me, I think Allison was just a one-man wall in a lot of Liverpool's games and I had to have him in and I would say much the same for uh, you know Nick Pope I think Nick Pope definitely deserves to be in there ahead of Martinez as well there you go um, final player uh, and, and it comes with a question Cam are we doing what we criticise Gareth Southgate for doing and not talking about Lewis Dunk uh, no just because again so much competition I think Lewis Dunk has been brilliant. Um, I don't think I've, I've, I've sorry, I have got a stupid name other than him. No, Brian players. Um, yeah, he just misses out due to quality elsewhere. I think I think he's I think he's been great. I think I think that could be a direct quote from Gareth Southgate that you just said there. <laughs> yeah, well, Lewis Dunk isn't competing with William Saliba, Lissandro wanted, Martino, wanted a stupid name. Ruben Diaz. <laughs> couldn't, <laughs> couldn't get him. <laughs> He's not been competing with Fikayo Tomori. Um, and I think he has made the most recent squad. So <laughs> There uh, you go. Well, I have. Uh, I also want to say, um, as we get into the other awards that we've, we've both done, I have tried to fill out um, some of the players that I missed out um, in, in, in the team of the season with the other awards. So I've been a little bit holistic about it. Which uh, everyone leaves with something, eh? But I don't care. Everyone gets God. a consolation prize. God, God, RIP to the player who picks up worst transfer because he didn't make it into your team of the season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 let's start with that one because is there much competition for this? I think I've got a pretty clear cut choice. Uh, well, I, could, I sort of gave mine away earlier, so I'll, I'll just say it now. I think it's Jorginho Rutter. Um, I had real high hopes mm. for him when he came over. Uh, and I think it's only ended up being like 24 million because so much of the money was in add-ons. So because Leeds have just not used him, they're not going to pay those. Um, 
But yeah, I, I don't understand the logic in paying a good amount of money to get a young attacking talent in to a team that's really struggling for goals and, and just results in general and not playing him at all. It's just money down the drain. And and with the fact that they've gone down in addition to that, it is just, it's, it's worse than money down the drain. It's worse than spending money on a player you haven't played. It's spending money on a player you haven't played potentially at the cost of you going down. I, I don't know what he could have been doing in training <laughs> unless he was like <laughs> turning up late in a, in a car that he was obviously hotboxing. I cannot see the justification <laughs> in not at least giving him a few more goes. It does seem confusing, doesn't it? Um, as you say there, I, I feel like as as fans, teams that are struggling never seem to make as many changes as as you, a, a couch like manager, would make. That's definitely something that I, I find. Um, you know, you just think like, why why are why aren't we exploring more options? Um, and I think that that's a great example of um, of that. Um, I've actually got two choices here for worst transfer. And I've gone for, uh, I actually just, just added it at the end now on a whim. Um, worst transfer out. And it has to be Casper Schmeichel. You've got to mention him. Um, just because you talked about the, the teams going down there. And I think when you think about transfers in Leicester, it has to be him leaving that has defined their their exit from the Premier League. Um, in terms of the, the yeah, worst yeah, signing... Yeah, definitely that. Or, or this, the, my, my suggestion, although I think it is Casper Schmeichel, but just to give it another one to yours, Sadio Mane. Yeah, that was... Well, no, but see, there, there I, I would disagree because I feel like Sadio Mane also hasn't had an unbelievable season for Bayern. He hasn't, but he is lifting the Bundesliga. There was a picture of him lifting the Bundesliga shield uh, on the final day of the German season, and I was going, man, they, uh, they're really missing him at Liverpool. Even though he's not necessarily been super key for Bayern, I, I was just like, hmm, they've, uh, they've missed him around. Although I, I don't think he's been the main reason they've been bad, but still had to, had to mention him as much as he had to mes- mention Kasper Schmeichel. Okay, all right, concede, concede. Although I think, yeah, part of the reason they sold him was because he couldn't do what he'd been doing and I think that's still true but um worth worth mentioning um I've gone for perhaps an emotional choice just because I think it's the dumbest transfer I've seen in, in a long time Michaela Mudrich Mudrich mm, yeah he's ended the season with no goals and one assist is that right about that yeah I mean just just one uninspiring signing for for the amount of money um at the time of the season where Chelsea needed good new players um, you know, I just think terrible, terrible waste of money. Definitely the most flagrant waste of money. I like your um, choice, potentially a little bit more almost, just because Leeds have gone down as a result, whereas Chelsea have just languished in 12th. Um, but I think that it's criminal the amount of money that they spent on, on Mudrick. And I just think in terms of like impact, he's got to be... Maybe even lower down than than Rutter because he's been on the pitch enough times and actively not contributed to Chelsea turning things around. Um, it's almost like if Rutter had got chances and then not made it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's funny because I think that's just where we've come. What we've come to here is like a philosophy. Are we saying the worst transfer is in the worst player who was transferred, or are we saying worst transfer is in the worst bit of transfer business? <laughs> Which I, yeah. I suppose mine has been. <laughs> mine has been. Georgie Urota was so bad because they transferred him. They didn't use him, and they went down. Whereas I think with Mudrick, even though he's been really bad so far there is still every chance that he will come good and Chelsea is still in the Premier League so 
that's uh, true. Know, that's true. He, he could come on next season, and he could be one of those players. Like you know, you know, there's loads of notable players in the past who've come in, had a bit of a shit start, and then come really good. Whereas I think even if Jorginho Ritter now does come in and play really well, leads are down. So he might help them go back up, but even then, they've lost loads of money on the not being in the Premier League another season, and it, it's just such a huge, huge L from them. I do think Mudrick was a lot of money for little initial impact, uh, and he could end up going down as a real, a uh, real turkey. But so far, I, he's he's probably my bottom three, but he's not my bottom one. Yeah, I think that's that. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, Best yeah I, I mean, I also like your I like your call. Um, Best transfer for you. Best transfer. I think this is obviously a, a harder decision to make. Um, I've gone for Sven Botman. Um, mm, interesting. I like it. I've gone for a very similar player. So we, I'll say him so we can just say our reasons. I've gone for Nick Pope. <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean, yeah, both both fantastic players. Both have have helped um, Newcastle define define their, um, their, their next stage, um, their next step. Um, I think that both good choices. I think there are a lot of other choices that, that would also be great. One player that we've not talked about once and deserves it is Joao Polinia for mm-hmm. Fulham. Um, I think you mentioned Casemiro there earlier. Gabriel Jesus has obviously been pretty good. Zinchenko has obviously been pretty good. Casemiro Gibbs White was getting a lot of good. shouts as well this week. I, I just think he's a very good player, but there's so much more potential in him, I think, than we've seen. That I'm almost and maybe unfairly unwilling to give it to him, um, mm. but a, a good player and a great signing, um, nonetheless. Um, there I will think be those that... who say that the, the huge omission to not include is, of course, the big Viking Erling Haaland. For me, I, I, just I think, actually think it's a terrible I, choice. I every think it's every such time a someone choice. goes, "Oh, he was only sixty million," I'm just like, "So you're not smart then." Like <laughs> when you take a look at all of the time, I'm like, he's really good, and City have him, and they're not going to face any punishment for him. So let's just call Apple. Like he's worth 220 million. I'd have, to, I'd have no problem going. Yeah, we've paid loads of money for a world class player. That's what you get. Um, but yeah, every time I was there, I'm like, you're either being like intentionally obtuse or you're lying. And just pound for pound, I think. Has he been a brilliant transfer? Yeah. He cost a load of money with the transfer fee and the agents fee and the fee for his father and all that stuff, which has seemed to be worth every penny. Uh, but yeah, to, to that end, I couldn't put him in against uh, a shrewd signing uh, like either of Sam Botman or Nick Pope for that matter. Sure. I mean, I think the the main part as well is that City don't have to start him to still be fantastic and dominant and score loads of goals. Um, so when it goes to pound for pound, you can't pick him over even someone like Ben Mee who joined Brentford on a free transfer at the end of, um, you know, from, from Burnley who got relegated um, who's been fantastic for Brentford and, and a real key to um, you know them them rising up the table. I, I would always pick someone like Ben Mee, who has actively contributed much more, in my opinion, to that team being where they are in the league, like Nick Pope, like Sven Bomb, mm-hmm. like Casemiro, like all of these players that we mentioned ahead of Erling Haaland. I think it's actually... Uh, I think, you know, sometimes it was like some sort of like arrogant like oh you've just shown what a noob you are that to me that to me is like Erling Haaland as best player the best signing sorry they're like okay <laughs> cool okay cool maybe maybe read a second book all, and I agree with all of that all that said however for my player of the season I have gone for Erling Haaland have you actually uh, no so, you have so, you got Nick so, Pope you put Nick Pope uh, 
the best transfer I've gone Nick Pope for player of the season I've gone for Erling Haaland oh so best I, player of the season nah. yeah I, so I hope I hope all listeners are able to follow my uh, my logic here it does make sense although it's followed a lot of twists and turns I think I wouldn't put him as, in his best transfer um, just because pound for pound and as you mentioned their impact I just think in terms of the best football uh, it's got to be the guy who's dominated the league week in week out uh, I do think it is easier to do so when you play for Man City but Erling Haaland as a footballer He's the kind of person who I think I maybe read this. As someone was talking about, this, but he he as a footballer for Man City, he kind of reminds me of when you see someone um, when you hear about players, uh, not players rather, he, when you hear about sort of like a Lance Armstrong type thing, and you hear about how they've been using illegal substances, and part of you is like, oh, that's really wrong, and part of you is like, I think they should just let them do it to see what the absolute maximum <laughs> is. <laughs> with all the sort of rumors around, like uh, you know, City's financial doping and stuff like that. Obviously, the majority of me is like, that's really detestable. There is a part of me that's like, it is hilarious that that's just allowed this guy to come in and play in front of this midfield and score a billion goals the first time of asking. There is a part of that that's quite enjoyable. I know what you mean. Um, the only thing I can think is like, Man City, have they scored more goals than they did last year? They've got 94 goals this this season. It's the same or maybe slightly fewer. Um, so I just, in terms of like best players... You gotta go for Kevin De Bruyne over Erling Haaland. Um, however, I didn't pick either of those players because both those players were in my team of the season. Now, now this so, is convoluted reasoning. <laughs> Having the best player of the season not in your team of the season. I had I had a toss up between three players that were in your um, your team of the season, which was Rodri, Rashford, or Odegaard. I'm going to give it to Rodri because I think that he has been more important to Man City finishing where they have finished. Then Erdegaard or Rashford were to United? Oh, I would have said on that criteria. No, 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 but not not just to their to their teams, but also to helping win the title. I think it's, you know, in, in this, you know, Man City have won the league and they have therefore been the best player. And I think one of their best players has been Rodri. Well, all right, I'll take that. Um, let's go for one we discussed last season, a little bit of a new award, the Rookie of the Season. Uh, this is, of course, a sort of different one than the uh, sort of young player of the year award because that often is someone who's played in the Premier League for like eight seasons and is 24 which just makes no no sense there's someone yeah. who has sort of broken through this season um, on the younger side uh, under I think it was what was it said last season under 23 um, has played a significant amount of minutes um, so more than 1500 uh, and it's their first time in the Premier League um, I, I, I suspect that we might have the same player here Mm, well, who have you got? And I'll tell you if I've got the same one, because I think mine is uh, a, an obvious you choice to me. I've gone for Moises Caicedo. Ah, well, it's not the player I've gone for. Um, Caicedo did play, play about 600 minutes last season, but that's that's such a small amount. I think he basically still counts as a rookie this season. Um, his first full season, if, if we're saying the threshold is 1,500 minutes, then if you didn't break it last season, that's that's fair dues, I reckon. Um, but yeah, I like that. I like Caicedo. I mean, walk, walk me through a little bit about what's impressed you so much about him. I think, um, well, firstly, Brighton have had an amazing season. Caicedo's been really at the heart of of what has been uh, so good about them. He's played every game except one. Um, he is is just so impactful, I think, in their midfield. Um, and he's so young and he surprises me every time I watch him play. He's only 21 and that blows my mind. He, he's one of those players that just looks so assured so much of the time. Um, and I think that 
uh, yeah, I also wanted to, to recognise um, the season that Brighton have had um, and how impressive I think they've been. And I think it's been the result of players like Caicedo that have allowed for a transition of managers without, you know, a, a dip in form. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, I think he's one of the the most exciting young players in the league, and this was his breakout year. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, could, I could agree with that. That's that's really not a bad choice at all. Uh, I have gone for, funnily enough, this, uh, a player from the same team two years in a row, I think. I think my rookie of the year last season was Tino Livramento uh, from Southampton, uh, which may give away who I've gone for this year. It's, of course, Romeo Lavia, who I have been so impressed with, um, specifically because he's a 19-year-old playing for a team that's been the worst team in the league, uh, and yet... I've seen so many occasions of him facing up against these midfielders who are 10 years older than him, have got m- way more experience in better sides and are often playing for better teams, and he'll have them on toast. And I, it's not not impressed me one time. I think he is destined for the stars, uh, and I think this is our first glimpse of someone who we're going to think is really special for a long time to come. Yeah, I, I think that's a great choice as well. I think um, it's just things like um, the fact that his past, his past success rate this year um, has been ninety one percent. That's yeah. f- for a, for a nineteen year old um, in the middle of the park in the Premier League. It is I would actually say probably unheard of um, yeah. for a Southampton side that that is expected to get overrun in midfield every single week. Uh, and were, <laughs> were were many weeks <laughs> were were in many weeks. But um, yeah, I, you know, Romeo Lavi is a, a great shout. Um, as you say, absolutely someone that we will see more of. Um, and nice that we've both picked a uh, kind of a defensive midfielder or a central midfielder um, mm. because they are so often one of the most important positions uh, in a team. And it's cool to see. I think it's always impressive, especially when you think of defensive midfielders, you think of often um, experience and older heads and, um, you know, potentially... It, players in the 30s and it's great to see such young exciting talent coming through in this position in English football last award before literally 60 seconds on the two playoff games uh this award is maybe the most hard fought manager of the season there are about six or seven managers who I think this could go to uh there are so many cases it's obviously very different in terms of do you give it to Pep Guardiola for winning the league I would say no boring choice and also you wouldn't give someone a medal for winning 100 meters in a Ferrari um do you give it to yeah okay nice nice (laughs) nice player of the season choice bro (laughs) <laughs> do, you, do you give it <laughs> well do you give it to you know like a Mikel Arteta for improving or did he bottle it do you give it to you know one of the managers who's come in and, and solved something or do you give it to a Gary O'Neill for turning a really bad Bournemouth side around um, there's there's so many different choices who have you gone for I've gone for probably the obvious choice which is Eddie Howe um, I think that we've talked about some of the players at Newcastle that have been fantastic I think it's testament to him that we can talk about so many of Newcastle's players that have been fantastic. I mean, we haven't even talked about how good Callum Wilson has been, how good Alexander Isak has been, how good um, quite a few... Like, um, Miguel Almiron. Or, Miguel Almiron, or Wick, absolutely. Or Joe absolutely. Linton in his new position, yeah. yeah. Joe Linton, fantastic. And I think that when we think, when I look at other teams, Man City haven't improved, so Pep's out. Arsenal, Arteta, fantastic. Potentially another really good choice. Um, Man U, I think, 
has largely been the result of players like Casemiro coming in rather than the direct impact of someone like Eric Ten Hag. Um, Liverpool, bad season. Brighton, great season, but Deserby's only been there for half of it. Um, Aston Villa, Unai Emery, could have picked him, but again, only there for half. Whereas I think Eddie Howe, for his man- managership of transitioning Newcastle from the team that they were to the team that they are, uh, has been so, so impressive. And I think you can't leave him out. See, it's it's funny because again, I think this speaks to us more than it does to the managers here. I said more as sort of what we value because the two managers you mentioned there, Roberto De Zerbi and Una Emery, are the two that I sort of went back and forth on on this in terms of it took over at different stages. But I think when you look at Eddie Howe having transformed Newcastle, he absolutely has. But he's almost had in in terms of this season an ex a bonus six months to do so whereas for me the two managers Deserbi and uh, Una Emery transforming their respective sides uh one who had a team that was doing pretty well but has good taken them from good to great and one that inherited a side that was literally in like not literally but it was, it was, it was in flames um and, and he's taken them to a European finish I, I just personally find that all the more impressive even if it's less games done I think to and I'm, you know, I've gone for Unai Emery, as, as you may have been able to tell already, to get an uh, you know not only a sinking ship but basically a sunk ship and get it right ship shape is such a good sign of a of a ship captain, which is my analogy here for a manager, uh, as as compared to sort of getting a summer to sort of make all the repairs and sort of a few months beforehand in the dockyard. <laughs> Is this is this all making sense? Um, so yeah, so, so I've got Bruno Emery, but I, I like anyhow. I think he's a great shout. I think that, like I said, I think there's six or seven managers that could be. I think, I think the reason why, and I don't disagree with that. I think you know, good choice. Um, the reason why I didn't pick them is because it's something that we see much more. Um, you know, looking down the Premier League, there are quite a couple of other managers that we've seen take over at clubs and do very well. I'm thinking of Roy Hodgson at Crystal Palace and probably more personally, um, Sean Dyche at Everton to keep them up. And I think that to take over a club and have a really good six months is quite common. Chelsea do it every third year. Um, Whereas what we are seeing with this Newcastle side is new. It is different. It is special in my opinion. I think Eddie Howe, in terms of taking over a side with the the grace and the the control that he has, um, the signings that he's made, not splashing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds um, in in taking over, I think is is unique, um, and that's why I think it is different to the others. Um, and I mean, as you say, there, Unai Emery and Deserbi both did it um, to great effect this year. We see it more. We see it a lot more. That's fair. That's fair. I don't think the um, the Premier League um, Man of the Month has been named yet, which is not not to say that that's a, a good measuring stick because they still Man- get manager of the, of the year or man of the season. Have they named theirs yet? Right. I don't think so. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting sure. to see who, who who goes there. Not that it's a necessarily indicated, but just because I'm interested to see what sort of controversy that caused online when it inevitably goes to Pep Guardiola. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, final shout out Marco Silva for Fulham. Yeah, yeah, another great one. Really, really um, you know, steered them to a very safe finish, a team that a lot of people thought were going to go down. 
Well, that's end of season awards. I just want to have literally 60 seconds on playoff results. Um, Luton Town beating Coventry on penalties to become the 20th Premier League team for next season. Um, you know, insert joke about Kenilworth Road here. But yeah, interesting to see a team that have obviously come up from non-league in the last nine years and have not been... It's, it's, a, it's a new face and that can always be exciting um, to see a completely new face in the Premier League and what they're going to bring. Uh, so yes, welcome Luton. Uh, commiserations Coventry. Very exciting indeed. Um, and then Sheffield Wednesday winning in the League One playoff with a 123rd minute winner from Josh Windass, which is particularly interesting because 15 years earlier in the championship playoff, his father Dean Windass did the same thing for Hull City. Uh, so football, adhering to a script mm. as always. Often uh, often they return to uh, to what what made the writers their name in the first place. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a nice, a nice little bit of, uh, what's the word? Symmetry um, with that one. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see Luton in the in the premiership. I hope that they're able to transition well. I know it's going to be tricky in terms of, you know, things like Kenilworth road. Um, but I also think um, Coventry again would have been an amazingly impressive meteoric rise as well. If I'm, if I think correctly, um, they also were down in league two, um, and lower within the last 10 years. Um, I, I want to say not maybe quite as impressive as Luton town's rise, but, um, still, still impressive nonetheless. And yeah, I liked that it ended one-one, and then on penalties. That felt about right for the championship. Mm, yeah, and, and always exciting, especially as a you know a complete uh, neutral who has no interest in, or, or not no interest, but no sort of real vested interest in either. I think was um, yeah, definitely it was very fun. Exciting. It was fun, fun to be sure. Um, and yeah, can't wait to see him in the Premier League. As you say, it's nice when it's not um, you know Norwich or Fulham every year, um, and. Even if, uh, well, yeah, exactly. Um, it's nice to have a new face. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, that's about it for this week. Rupert, great to talk to you as always. Cam, thank you very much. And thank you to everyone at home for listening. If you do indeed think that we have been, been big dumb dummies and should have included your favourite player, um, then then let us know. Uh, our email address is hosts at armchairanalysts.com. .co.uk. .co.uk? .com. <laughs> Dot com. Ah, I second guessed myself uh, oh, in the wow. in the last minute. Um, hosts at armchairanalyst.com. Um, love to hear from you. Till then, we'll see you next week. We'll hear you next week. You'll hear us next week. Bye for now. Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron McDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amshel.